0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Cloud Wars Live, where generally we talk about the digital revolution that's taking place in the world. And we're still going to touch on some of that. But given what's going on around the world today with the coronavirus and the situations there, we're shifting gears to try, I think, quite appropriately to focus on the effect that that's having in all spheres of our lives. Um, Our guest today is one of our monthly digital all-stars, Tony Uphoff, who's the CEO of Thomas, which is the parent of Thomas Net a uh, fantastic source of data for buyers and sellers in the industrial and manufacturing markets. Tony, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live.
1: Hey, Bob, thanks for uh, for having us on. These are uh, these are amazing times, my friend.
0: Yeah. Tony, it looked like uh, for people who've seen you before on Cloud Wars Live, it looks like a different setting for you today.
1: Just slightly different settings. So uh, like so many companies, Bob, we made a, a pretty significant pivot um, on made the decision on Thursday and then made the pivot on Friday with about 350 employees that are now all working remotely. So literally our entire operations of our business are completely remote. And, uh, we have about 75 independent sales reps. We call certified Thomas partners that were, you know, really already remote workers, but now that entire network is a fully operational remotely. And, uh, I got to tell you, it's, it's one thing to know you can do it, uh, or at least assume you can do it. It's another thing to pull that switch. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I've been amazed to watch our company actually make that transition. Super proud of the folks and uh, um, remarkable to see that actually happen.
0: Tony, anything in, there that in particular that stood out to you that uh, unexpected or pleasantly, pleasantly surprising?
1: Yeah, I, I think a couple of things, Bob, that, that hit me was um, how natural, and I'll, I'll I'll put that in air quotes here, how natural and intuitive um, the the step uh, really felt to a lot of people. You know, I I held my breath a little bit thinking there's going to be you know functions here that people just aren't going to be used to being able to access remotely or use remotely, and. I was pleasantly surprised, even down to payroll and other things. Everything smoothly transitioned, and I, I, I was just super impressed. I, I was also amazed at how calm people stayed. You know, these are these are um, anxiety-producing times, and you know, one of the things that I was particularly proud of is we serve a very unique role as the leading source for product sourcing and supplier selection for. The global manufacturing industry, and actually, there's more demand than ever. There's there's a lot of you know people looking for alternative suppliers on our platform right now, and I was impressed by how our people focused on that sense of responsibility and mission, and didn't get overly complicated about, oh gosh, you know this is going to be hard for me or or, or whatever. Um, so so far so good, but it was uh, it, it was an amazing process to watch and yeah. to be a part of.
0: Uh, Tony, I, I wanna ask just sort of follow-up there about it. So in uh just over a little over three years that you've been CEO of Thomas, you've taken the entire organization through a, a pretty sweeping transformation here into the, you know, further into the digital world, more deeply there. Is it uh is it would it be accurate to say that some of that uh some of that shifting have people become sort of accustomed to adaptations and shifts and moves? Did it, I wonder if it seemed almost natural to some people as jarring yeah. as in fact, it really was. You
1: know what I'd say, Bob, if I go back a little uh, pre, pre my time, you know, I think it, it's probably a sweep of, of five to six years, but I think it's accelerated over the last three years, we've become a more technically literate company. Mm-hmm. And, and that's just simply a fact. And and we've adopted, you know, we've moved you know Our, our apps and, and a lot of our infrastructure into cloud-based apps. We've adopted a lot of applications that are SaaS-based applications that are very user-friendly, but they still require users to learn how to deal with them and understand it. Um, as, as you and some of your listeners know, over the last year, we've completely revamped all of our business systems with an eye towards from interest, where a company might have interest in one of our products or services, through to invoicing the company. We've, the company, we've completely um, rebuilt all those systems, including a new financial backbone and all those things. Thankfully, knocking on, uh, on wood here, that process went live about three weeks ago. So all those steps were in place. But I I guess my real point I'd make to your question is, I think what's happened over the last several years, and this is a cultural shift, our company has become uh, technically literate through every function of the company. It's not just the IT team or our CTO or folks that are in uh, developers. I think everybody in the company, gosh, even me, Bob, and I know that'll stun you, has become reasonably technically literate. And I think that is a huge advantage. And I think to an extent, it's giving our people some confidence that as they make this, they know how to handle this, they can deal with this, and they can, they can continue to serve customers, serve users and manage the business, even if they might be working from their home or apartment.
0: Yeah, it's got to be a wild experience there. And the fact that what you said about up to three weeks ago, you were able to complete a pretty big cut over there. It it speaks then not only what you're doing inside the company, but outside. Uh, I'm sure the huge community, industrial markets and manufacturing that Thomas serves. uh, Are you hearing some requests from people on the outside who are looking to you? Maybe are you becoming a hub of best practices and ideas, sort of a connecting point for the whole industry?
1: Yeah, Bob, I sure hope so. So I'll, I'll kind of go go broadly and then narrow that, that down a little bit if I can. So speaking broadly, going back, gosh, it feels like ancient history, but it was about eight weeks ago now, we started to see a, a very significant lift. And, and I think we touched on this last time we talked, in demand for categories that are called PPE, personal protection equipment. So these would be things like masks, respirators, hazmat suits. <clears throat> secondary thing we saw was a significant lift for prefabricated building materials. Y- your listeners might remember the story that a hospital was stood up in 10 days in Wuhan, China near the epicenter of the outbreak of the coronavirus. Prefabricated building materials allows for something like that to actually happen and, and happen within that remarkable amount of time. So we started to see that happen second thing that we did is we started to produce some surveys we've now done two of them across manufacturers so the first wave we we sampled about 750 companies second wave we're at about 1400 and what we're trying to do is to get a sense of what impact are you seeing from the coronavirus and at the first uh wave of the study 60 percent of the respondents said that they were seeing or or could see in the near future an impact on the virus Interestingly enough, that went down uh, to about 45% in the second wave. And and we think there's a couple of things happening, and this is based on the write-in comments that we can see in the survey. Number one is, slowly but surely, there actually are some sources in China that are coming back online, not a lot of them, but they are starting to come back online. Um, It is not easy, but it is easier today to find secondary or tertiary supply uh, suppliers in your supply chain, so we could see sourcing activity quickly, and in many cases, Bob, some of these companies either had you know, stockpiled sources, uh, resources, pardon me, or they had secondary sources already lined up, and so they could adapt relatively easily to this. In other cases, companies were simply delaying orders or slowing order flow so that they could manage through the process. Um, we are seeing a significant am- amount in the data of companies looking for alternative sources of supply outside of China in particular. You're seeing a lot of that to North America. If I add Mexico in, technically speaking, uh, you know depending on who you talk to, we don't consider Mexico part of North America. Some of us do depending on uh, on whose math you want to use there. If you add Mexico in, North America and Mexico is the predominant. Uh, beneficiary, if I can use that term in this context, of the looking for uh, supply, alternative supply. And, uh, you know, we'll we, uh, we'll continue to field waves of this survey. And for your listeners, we're going to, as of uh, late this afternoon, we're going to start posting the survey to thomasnet.com. And then also we're going to be uh, putting snippets and access to it in our uh, daily email newsletter, Thomas Industry Update.
0: Uh, Tony, fascinating stuff. Do you, uh, do you at this point, have a sense, will these be, uh, do you think the companies are looking at these as temporary? I mean, I know everything in business is somewhat temporary, but uh, short-term solutions only, or could these be long-term as well?
1: Boy, isn't that the great question, right? And and I, I'd be curious on your feedback, Bob. You know, I, I was about to say, from your experience of having seen things like this, pause, don't know that we've seen something quite like <laughs> this before. Um, I, I, I want to be clear. I'm going to step into opinion here from what I can see in the data. And I, I think um, when, when you have a primary supplier where a black swan event like this comes in and completely disrupts that supply and you're able to fl- find an alternative supplier who now becomes your primary supplier. I think you're gonna think long and hard before you go back to that primary supplier. I hate to say that, um, but I think that's factual. Now, is that true in every subset of the marketplace? I don't think so, but I think in the major source uh, sense of this, so auto companies, electronics companies, aerospace companies, as those supply chains are disrupted, as they find alternative suppliers, I think it's going to be a while before some of those Chinese suppliers are able to get back into the queue and earn that business back. Does that mean that goes away? No, but but I think some of this may play out over the long run, and I think you may see um, an acceleration in reshoring, which we've seen you know on a sustained level over the last five to ten years. You may see an acceleration of that, and partly for just purely economic reasons, I think um, you know if. If that primary supplier comes back and the capabilities are there, and we can see some evidence in the surveys that companies are opening back up with those primary suppliers, but it remains to be seen. Would you be comfortable putting all of your eggs in that basket again, given what we've seen happen?
0: Yeah, Tony, and you know, one of the things that came up as I was uh, listening to your, you know, articulate what you've seen in the data, the research, the relationships that Thomas has with so many companies around the world, both the buyers and sellers, it seems to be one of these cases where companies of every sort are able to take a look, as you know, your company did, which you mentioned, Tony, about uh, working remotely and assessing and in an, a sweeping range of things that some of them could be short-term and only short-term, others could last quite a bit longer, and I think this is one of those things out of a terribly, uh, horribly unfortunate situation, that some good outcomes might occur. Earlier today, you know, one, uh, one of your peers here as a guest on Cloud Wars Live, Chris Lockhead was saying one of the things that'll come up, he said, I think it's really dumb if companies look at this and say, well, you know, in anticipation maybe of some uh revenue declines, we're gonna cut costs 20% across or cut expenses 20% across the board. He said maybe some companies will have to cut expense, why don't you look at where they should be made instead of just this, you know, lop everything off at 20%. And he specifically referred to stupid marketing. And he said, I'm a CMO. He said, you know, I'm a big advocate of it, but in every marketing department or purchasing department or finance or whatever it might be. uh, And he said, I think there's going to be a purging or a cleansing of some bad habits that he said we've just sort of carried along for a while. And I wonder, Tony, in that spirit, you've said that you've also seen uh, from a lot of the folks in your community, a real rise in video conferencing. And do you think this could be certainly a short-term uh, help out here, but is this something that's going to become long term? Yeah, you know, Bob,
1: I'll use the expression you know positive forcing function. Boy, there's a there's an MBA term for you if there ever was one created, and and I'm not trying to make light of it. Chris is on it as usual, and I think we we have to start to think through the impact of this over the medium and, and long term, and I think. Um, if you look at the fixed cost structures of a lot of companies where they have office space in the traditional sense, if this doesn't wake people up if, to say, hey, do we really need that level of fixed infrastructure or should we create a more flexible environment and allow more people to work from home? This is not a new idea with many of your listeners work for companies. It could be almost 100% remote work, but, but I think it'll it'll accelerate that. in In the markets that we serve, I think it's going to be less about remote work but far more about remote connection and video connection with customers. I've shared with you and and your listeners before, um, the industrial and manufacturing markets are absolute, you know, leading edge experts on factory automation and advanced manufacturing. And, And Bob, you've had the chance to visit some of these companies and Our our mutual uh, colleague, Sean Amirati, part of his Carnegie Mellon affiliation deals with some of the advanced manufacturing companies in the Pittsburgh area. Mind-blowing what they're able to do. But they've less put emphasis on the digital transformation of industrial sales and marketing. And I think this is a positive forcing function Mm -hmm. because we're hearing from thousands of companies that are reaching out and saying, hey, I can see this activity I can see people want to communicate to us, but gee, my trade show is canceled or, you know, I, I, I can't, you know, customers don't want us to come visit them and they don't want to come visit us. And so they're just starting to do what we're doing here. And, mm-hmm. and I'm wildly generalizing. There are some companies that were prepared for something like this. Mm-hmm. And there's some companies that are completely flat footed. Even if I draw the mid range there though, I, I think this is an early stage and, um, I, I'm, I'm hoping certainly that we can play a role in helping to illuminate platforms like Zoom and others and uh, not to start naming brands here because I'll leave someone out, but there are so many good uh, sources and resources today for a video connection with customers. I, ironically, based on user feedback, buyer feedback, we have been vetting and just introduced two weeks ago a video plant tour. And if you're familiar with the real estate platform Zillow, um, if you notice, if you go on there and look, Zillow has a pretty templated video package if the broker decides to to purchase it. There's a drone flyer over the house. There's a video walkthrough with kind of compelling but innocuous music in the background. It's always about the same time, you know, and, and, and really nicely produced with some decent graphics well the same company that manages that reached out to us and said hey you guys are kind of like the Zillow of the real estate and, of the industrial markets and i well, i don't know if, i don't know if that's the metaphor i would have reached for but okay and so we literally just introduced this and we 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 didn't do this to to take advantage of this horrible situation we're dealing with there but boy the early interest in this is is really uh, strong and and what it allows for is this was a buyer driven Dynamic for us, meaning the user of our platform, and they would let us know. Hey, I don't always have the ability to fly and go visit a supplier somewhere. I can talk to them on the phone. I can see still pictures. I'd love to see a video tour of their facility. And can you guys do it and standardize it and validate that it's actually a video of their of their facility and include it in in your badging and your validation? So we've just just launched that. Long way of saying, you know, I think. Interestingly enough, that's another opportunity for our industry to start to use these tools, these digital tools to tell their story, to connect with customers. And and I think going back to Chris's fundamental point, I I think it will also get companies to perhaps look at costs in marketing that, you know, I'm not going to pick on trade shows here, but, you know, the old you know hey it 's the equivalent of throwing business cards in a fishbowl or are, are really getting something out of that, or are we just kind of going to Vegas because we love going to Vegas once a year and hanging with our pals? Is that really the best use of our marketing dollar when you fully load it and and i think I think he 's onto something I think you're you 're going to see some transition based on this
0: yeah, and Tony, as you were describing that, I thought of um, uh, my ninth grade basketball coach, and depending on you know who it was you were talking to this guy was either seen as you know Attila the Hun uh unleashed on ninth grade boys or uh, you know he was the next uh John Wooden uh, I believed he was more the the next John Wooden uh, probably because I was too dumb in ninth grade to realize that you know <laughs> this is not normal sorts of things for guys to do at practice uh, as much as he worked us but one of the things that he always told us I uh, thought it was I don't know that i grasped it fully in ninth grade but i sure as heck remembered it as he would say some people tell you will tell you that adversity builds character he said i don't believe that he said i think adversity reveals character and i think in these adverse times you you we hear about what a company like thomas is doing you know you're talking about these things that you're doing not just to like slash a cost here, there. These are things that are going to help the massive community that Thomas serves, that are going to help your employees be more productive. They're going to do some things, kick open some doors, become the Zillow of the industrial markets or whatever it is that turns out to be. And I guess in the midst of the, um, you know, it's 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 scary. It can be frustrating. It can be a little bit depressing if you if we allow it to, but the choices that, leaders make, the choices that companies make today are going to be so vital, Uh, you know, what we choose to do here about this awful situation that we find ourselves in. Do you let this just all tumble into awfulness, or are there things that can be done here to try to turn things around short-term, mid-term, and long-term? It's fascinating to hear some of the ways that uh, the questions you're getting from out in your marketplace and some of the ideas that you're coming around with as well.
1: Yeah, you know it's interesting, Bob. I, I, th- and I think I may have shared it with you. I, I do some blogging here and there on various topics, and and I a couple of weeks ago wrote a, a a post based on some requests from folks about leadership. They had heard me kind of give a spiel on what I think the three attributes of of uh, great leaders are, and I, it, little did I know, right, that you know I, all of us uh, would would be having to prove you know, what we believe in as leaders and what we what we do and how we act and how we behave. And I, I think at a time like this, you do come back to that sense of, does your company have a soul and, and a character and a culture where people can um, know what the right thing to do is, know what the right thing to do by customers, in our case, by customers and users and, and I, I, I'd like to think we're doing a lot of those things and those attributes, those, those cultural dynamics, that North Star of how to, how to behave uh, through a difficult and challenging time. I, I think by and large people are, are adhering to that. And, and I do think kind of going back to the consistent theme of what we're talking about, I, I think, um, I think this, this will be a forcing function that will, will hopefully positively create a lot of um, agile companies to make sure they can adapt to challenging times. But I think it will also, you know, force you to really determine what business are you in and, and how do you best serve your customers, particularly at a at a challenging time like this.
0: Yeah, um, Tony, uh you know, right so much on the mark. And I, I think there's one other thing I wanted to get your thought on here you, you know, you talk about those things, the soul of the company and, you know, who are we, what do we do, what business are we in, where are we going? And that tendency, sometimes you hear of business leaders say, well, you know, that's, that's not what we do, or, you know, that's, that's, that's not our game. Perhaps that's in a lot of cases, that's absolutely right. But there's a lot of other cases where I think the fast changing nature of the world outside of us dictates a new way of looking at that in, in some respects. And even something um, like, you know, you had talked about the working remotely. I, I wonder, you know, across this country, outside the U.S. and other places like that, if you get uh, people required to work remotely for a while, there's going to be some percentage of them. I would think that after that say, I was able to do my work as well, maybe a little better in some cases, maybe not quite as well, but my quality of my life, my work life and personal life both improved in doing this. And I I just like to ask what your broad thoughts are on business in general, if you think that this could be one of those enduring changes that comes out of this.
1: Yeah. I, I think it's been happening anyway, Bob. I think the dynamic of what you're touching on, and and look, I'm not, I'm not being naive that we've seen a radical accelerant to the trend you're describing, but I think that trend has been happening. I'll give you an interesting perspective. We have, a, you know, some 350 employees, and we're almost exactly half and half between the millennial generation and mm-hmm. older generations, including the baby boom generation, and, of the millennial generation. As they join the company, if if it's not the first question, it's the second question asked: is what's your remote work policy? Mm-hmm. And and in many cases, it's asked before a question around benefits or other things. And I don't think that's only the millennial generation. I think there's a lot of people that understand they can be very productive, they can live a very high quality of life, um, they can live a more balanced life. Um, the wear and tear and stress and strain of commuting, you know, no matter what how you do that or whether you have the benefits of mass transit or not. Um, I, I think this could be an accelerant of that. And, and I'm, I'm not a futurist and, and would not pretend to be, but I, I think it's pretty easy to draw a vector point to suggest that you're gonna see a higher percentage of remote work certainly in North America, but perhaps to your point, think of what's happening in Italy and other places right now as people, you know, try to understand the the dynamics of this. I I think we'd be crazy if we didn't think this is gonna have a lasting impact on remote work, which starts to open the the question of, you know, as we hurdle into that, you know, potentially new era, do we have the infrastructure built for that? And I think the answer to that is yes, by and large, Mm -hmm. right? you know, the cloud infrastructure and the technology infrastructure that we have available to us now is really remarkable. And it's so cost effective compared to, you know, the dreams of this, say a decade ago of really having a truly remote workforce. I think a lot of what you and I are describing is probably less of a technical challenge than it is a cultural challenge. How do, how do we think through running a company? How do we think through what employees need? How do we, how do we lead and manage and develop people, if the majority of our workforce is is it, are in remote locations. I, I think those are those are questions that may start to pop up for many of us over the next few years.
0: And Tony, you know, my, uh, one last thought I wanted to make on this, and then I'd like to offer you the final word on it is, the, this cultural thing that you've described is going to be so powerful, but it's also I think it's forcing a lot of companies, more and more people in companies, and we've seen this over the last few years that individuals departments divisions and whole companies have to get better at seeing the world from the outside in what is happening in terms of customers right they you know in times like this where are their opportunities now instead of just saying oh my god you know what do we do about our pipeline and so forth like that instead to say what's going on at the customer site what can we do better for them how can we stay in the game with what's going on here so I I think, you know, it's going to be a very interesting and in some ways, uh, even faster paced, more focused, more productive world that we're going to merge into, you know, through a lot of this. So I'm yeah. no futurist either. I don't play one on TV. I do play one sometimes on a podcast. Not not yeah. well, but I, I try.
1: I would argue you play it very well, my friend. I, I, I think the only thing I would add to that, Bob, is... Um, <clears throat> I think your clarion call is spot on. And if, and if I could, could paraphrase it, I think this is an opportunity and time for companies and particularly for leaders to watch what their customers are doing, listen to what your customers are asking for. And, it, and it, as you were talking, Bob, it makes me realize this is a moment that will, um, those who have the ability to, to look at and analyze real-time data, are gonna be in a very strong position because I think understanding how our customers are interacting right now and then having a qualitative ability to interact with customers, perhaps through video and phone for a little while as opposed to face to face. But I agree with you. What we're trying to do is to um, stay calm while we fly through some turbulence here. And every day we're looking at the dashboard of the usage of our products and services. We're watching how prospects or customers are reaching out to us, we're trying to look at that data and make decisions around, hey, are we seeing something that the users, pardon me, are asking for a different capability. Give you an example, in in real time that we were chatting about uh, over over Slack today, um, we think we're seeing the users um, request a feature where a supplier would show lead times, for products and services right on the supplier profile. And the users seem to be requesting this. We've done a small amount of testing on this. And so it seems like an obvious thing, but frankly, it hadn't come up before. Because you know what? Hey, I could probably just check the website once I, you know, check with Thomas, or I could reach out and call them. Today now they're increasingly looking at that. The badging you've seen us add to Thomas Registered or Thomas Verified, that's now a part of the badging process for suppliers also came by user demand, where users said, hey, it saves me time if I know you've validated the information on the supplier profile. I understand there could be profiles where you haven't, that doesn't mean I won't interact with them, but I wanna know the difference because it's easier for me as a procurement professional or an engineer or an MRO making those decisions. Long way of saying, I think this is a time of opportunity and I hate to say that with all the challenges people are feeling, But, boy, if you stay close to the customer and stay close to your prospect and stay close to your users, I think they will guide you to opportunity to not only get through this, but also potentially for opportunities on the other side of it.
0: Yeah, Tony, uh, good counsel there, my friend. Thank you. Uh, Thanks for... You know, these perspectives, there's, uh, we've got, you know, some tough sledding ahead over the next at least several weeks or so. But I think uh, the, a lot of the insights that you've offered here are going to be really helpful to companies. And again, I think it's, it's going to be one that tests the strength of the culture of the organization, who it is and what leaders, what role they play in it, and then how willing and uh, visionary those leaders are to adapt to what I think is going to be quite a different world as we get into the, the second half of 2020.
1: I agree, Bob. Stay well, my friend. And as always, it's great to be on the podcast with you.
0: Tony, thank you. Uh, folks, thanks to all of you for being with us. hope everybody's staying healthy out there. Uh, hang in there. We will get through this. Good to see you. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time.